25th Line, Mike Todd here, in arena host for your Columbus Blue Jackets, and you're listening to the Subjectively Speaking Podcast. And now, here's Jeremy Paul and Laura Norman. What is up, everyone, and welcome to this very special edition of Subjectively Speaking. My name is Jeremy. And I'm Laura. And we have the privilege of being joined by a very special guest today who's going to be helping us do our Blue Jackets season preview. We're joined by none other than Jeff Svoboda. Jeff is the writer uh, for BlueJackets.com, writer for the team. You know him uh, on Twitter, at Jackets Insider. So if you're a Blue Jackets fan, if you're listening to this podcast, you know who Jeff is. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be on. Yeah, without a doubt. And I know we were joking a little bit before we started recording about how much I felt validated by you saying that you eat kiwi with the skin on. But that, to me, was the most important moment of the offseason this season. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I can't believe I got roped into actually doing that. Uh, but like, as we were talking about previously, it's, it's just easier to eat it that way. I mean, I love kiwi, but, you know, it can be a real pain to eat. And just make it easy. Cut it into slices. Eat the skin. It's not that bad. And you're good to go. I couldn't agree more. It was good content in an off season that, quite frankly, like gave us quite a bit of content anyway. <laughs> so, um, so Laura, I'll throw it over to you, friend. Let's talk a little bit about the off season. Let's get some of Jeff's takes on the off season. So, we'll start with the one that hurts you a little bit less, Laura. <laughs> yes, um, the off season for the Blue Jackets was definitely a roller coaster of a situation. Um, so. The first sort of major thing that happened, obviously, was the trading of Seth Jones to the Chicago Blackhawks, um, which was not really a shock, kind of a shock. We all sort of knew that he was on his way out or at least wanted uh, to be out. So, w- Jeff, which piece of the Seth Jones trade do you see being more impactful? The additions of Adam Boquist and the pick that turned into Jake Bean or the 12th overall pick that turned into Cole Cylinder? Ooh, that's a really good question. Because um, my immediate thought is, honestly, to say Cole Cylinder, just because of the fact uh, that very rarely does a guy that gets picked where he gets picked, you know, 12th overall, uh, 18 years old, very well might very well make the Blue Jackets, uh, make it to the NHL that year. Um, and he might be one of the few guys out of this draft to make it immediately. Uh, and so that just doesn't happen very often. And that speaks to a player who has a very unique set of skills and a very professional game and someone that's going to be in the league for a long time, hopefully with the Blue Jackets, unlike his dad who played for 12 teams. Uh, hopefully Cole ends up being here for a long time. Um, but then if you look at the fact that, you know, you may have built, uh, put together, you know, built, you know, a third of your blue line for the foreseeable future as well. And Adam Boquist and, and Jake Bean, uh, you know, the, the B squared guys. Um, I think that, you know, that's a pretty big thing too. So if you look back at it, I think it just goes to show you, Certainly the Blue Jackets were backed into a little bit of a corner um, in that, you know, everyone knew they had to trade Seth Jones uh, and they wanted to trade Seth Jones and not go through uh, the situation of losing him for nothing as they had with some guys the previous years. Uh, And then at the end of the day, though, you get three pieces that you've got two of your top four defensemen this season and a guy who might make the team out of the draft. Uh, That's three really good pieces. And so they hit a home run with that trade, uh, basically. And so, you know, as much as, it hurt to have to trade Seth and as many things as happened in this off season that kind of made things different. And you can go back to last season with the trades they had to make. You look at this team right now and go oh, like, okay, you can start to see how, you know, this is really starting to come together for a team that's pointed to be a, a year or two down the road to, to have some really good young pieces mixing with guys that are getting older and be a pretty darn good team. And so, uh, you know, those are all really good things right there. And to get three pieces right away out of that deal, uh, that's a pretty good trade at the end of the day, I would have to say given the situation they were in. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think uh, even now and a few years from now, we're we're going to be the ones that come out pretty on top from the situation we were in and this trade for Seth Jones. So, And I think what's exciting about it too, right, is like we still got another first round pick. Like if that first round pick next year yeah, yeah. somewhat materializes into like a guy who plays – some meaningful minutes in the NHL. I mean, I just think that you have to look at what we were able to do out of that situation and just, you can't help but be excited. Well, I was thinking, you know, when they were making the trade, it's like, okay, what are the, what, what could you possibly get in return in a trade like this? And you think about, you know, okay, they, they had to trade Rick Nash, you know, about a decade ago and he was 
without a doubt, the best player in the history of the franchise. And in that trade, they got um, they got a first round pick. They got two pieces that could help immediately. Um, and then they also got a prospect, which is sort of essentially what they ended up with here. Um, if you think about, you know, Jake Bean and Adam Boquist being guys that will immediately step in. Uh, Sillinger, you could say, would be the prospect, even though they had to draft him. Um, you know, he's already here, basically. Uh, and then they still have another first round pick. And so it's pretty comparable to what they did there. And if you think about, uh, you know, obviously Rick Nash, you know, one of the legends of, of the team still is, uh, always will be. Uh, but if you think about the fact that the trade that they made for him kind of cleared the way for that success that they would eventually have. It was one of those things where you hated to trade a guy like Rick Nash, but at the time it, it was the deal they had to make and it kind of cleared the way for things to be a little bit different and uh, for things to kind of bloom a little bit. Um, and so maybe this is the trade that, that's very similar that kind of sets this, this, this franchise forward a little bit. And maybe they even get more than they got for Nash. Cause you look back, you know, certainly Brandon Dubinsky was a really good player. Artem Anisimov was a really good player. Um, but you know, they never, they didn't really get a superstar out of that deal. You know, maybe Cole Sillinger is a superstar. Maybe Adam Boquist is a superstar. Uh, you, you never know. Um, Cole certainly looks like he's going to be a guy who's in the league for a long time. Uh, Boquist and Bean are both going to be top four players this year on the blue line. So, uh, you know, you've got some really good pieces out of that already with a lot of room to grow considering the age uh, of, of each of those guys right there. So, you know, maybe it ends up being one of those trades that you hate to have to make, but uh, really clears the way for things to get better as you go forward. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I think for a lot of Blue Jackets fans, that's a pretty, like, you go into the offseason, you hear that, you know, there's not really a desire to re-sign there from Seth Jones. And so that trade's pretty expected, right? But I think obviously the one that is not expected, and it hurts Laura still to this day, I'm sure, but like, um, is the trade of Cam Atkinson. I think one of my favorite little tidbits from Media Day this year, I think it was Media Day at least, uh, was um, when Jacob Voracek said, something along the lines of, well, Yarma wouldn't have traded for me if it was a rebuild. And, and so um, when you look at that trade, you know, how do you think that the addition of Voracek, you know, not only contributes to how the team's going to perform this year, I think we've seen a little glimpse of how that could, you know, affect the team in the preseason, but, you know, what does this do for the future of the franchise? Similarly to how we were talking in the last, uh, in regards to like the last move, um, is it, you know, the opportunity to try to entice line a into sticking around for, for that really quality goal scoring opportunity? Um, you know, what is the appeal of Voracek being here? Yeah. And I think you're right. I think you have started to see it. And if you look at the style of play that Voracek has, I think it was kind of a, a bit, a better match, for what the Blue Jackets needed than what Cam Atkinson was at this point in his career. And that's nothing against Cam Atkinson. Uh, but Cam Atkinson's always been a goal scorer. Uh, you know, you look at his numbers and you look, we watched him for years. You know, he was known for his ability to put the puck in the back of the net. But they needed someone, you know, specifically to play with Patrick Laine, who was more of a distributor, more of a high-level guy who can who can make plays and set people up. And I think Voracek had kind of reached the point uh, where, you know, the, every, both he and the Flyers kind of thought it was time to go a different direction which is why he was available. But if you look at his numbers, even the last couple of years, he's still been one of the best passers uh, in the NHL. Um, and so this is not a guy who appears to be yet on the downside of his career. Um, and you put him on a, a five on five line with Patrick Line, and they seem to have already been building some chemistry there. The power play looks infinitely better so far this year. Um, and I would say Jake Voracek is the main reason for that because he's a guy that, you know, that distributes in a way that kind of sets up everything else. You know, he can, he can set up line A, but also line A can set him up. We've already seen, you know, how many times did we see Patrick line A, you know, pass up a shot on the power play last year and throw it across the zone. And it just, the play kind of died. And that, you know, we saw in the first game that they were together on the power play, he did that to Voracek. Voracek immediately passes it to the front of the net and they get a goal out of it from Boone Jenner. And so uh, it, it's just, it's just a better fit, I think. And so Voracek is just one of those guys that, you know, I think they wanted to bring in somebody when they made the line a trade at the start of last year, they knew that they kind of were going to have to build pieces around him that kind of worked with him. Uh, and I think the little Voracek trade was the first big piece of that. Um, it'll be very interesting to see this year, how they play off of each other, but it almost looks like a match made in heaven because you've got one of the best passers in the game, one of the best shooters in the game, and you put that together and it, and it should work. Uh, and it looks like it's going to work. And, you know, you just never know once the, once it's live ammunition, but uh, it seems like a kind of thing that they had to do. They knew they had to do uh, just from a stylistic standpoint, and it should help them a lot going forward. Plus you add in the fact, you know, Vortex's an older guy, you know, he's a, he's a character. I think they kind of needed uh, someone like that in the locker room or at least wanted someone like that in the locker room. And so 
Uh, it seems like it's it's a really good fit for what they're trying to do right now. Yeah, as much as it pains me to watch Cam leave, um, I do. I am I'm coming around to this Voracek being the 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 thing that the Blue Jackets needed most um, in this in this circumstance. And you know, you talk you talk about him being a piece that is going to help us build around um, certain players and. The Blue Jackets really did some work in putting together some pieces this summer with signing a bunch of contract extensions um, and big, big deal contract extensions. So the team was able to sign Zach, Boone, and Elvis and some other pretty lucrative extensions in the offseason. Which of these do you think is going to be the most important down the line? I think it's probably Zach uh, because it, it said something to the rest of the league that there was a guy willing to commit here at a time. And, and I think the narrative was a bit overblown of guys leaving Columbus. I mean, certainly there has been a number of them over the last couple of years, but I think everybody kind of had their own reasons and it wasn't because Columbus was a bad place to play. Um, you know, in some cases they just, there were specific places guys wanted to go in other cases, it, you know, it was maybe just, it was more about hitting free agency and just having the freedom to decide where they wanted to end up. That was the thing with Seth, you know, Seth didn't dislike playing in Columbus but it was the biggest contract he's ever going to sign. And for him, it became a, a situation where he just, you know, it was basically a once in a career opportunity and he wanted to take advantage of, of being out there. Um, and, and so I think that narrative kind of gets a little bit overblown, but Z did kind of make everyone feel better, uh, whether it be the, the team uh, or the fan base of, okay, we are building something here that, that someone really wants to be a part of. And plus I think, you know, there's talk that he's overpaid and you can certainly make that argument. Uh, you know, is he, one of the best, you know, I think he's what making the third most uh, dollars of a defenseman in the NHL this year on an AAV. Um, is, is he, you know, the third best defenseman in the NHL? You could certainly argue that, but I think you would also say if you're going to sign a guy to a long-term extension like that, I, I would sign Zach Wierenski. I mean, he's still young. He's still getting better. Defensemen tend to age into themselves a little better than forwards. Uh, you know, the, the more experienced defensemen get the better. Um, and you know, he certainly is a guy offensively, everyone knows what he's about. He's led the league in goal scoring from the blue line before, um, wouldn't be surprised if he does it again. He's gotten a lot better in his own zone over the years, uh, and, and become a complete player. And so, you know, if you're going to sign a guy to a contract like that, I think he's the kind of guy that it makes a heck of a lot of sense to do so. Um, and so I think that really is something you can build around, you know, a guy that wants to be here, a guy that's very highly respected around the league, a guy that's got a good personality. Um, it's a big ticket deal, but and it's a little bit risky, but it's one of those that's maybe worth the risk. And I'll be very curious to see, uh, how it ends up working out because I think even if it ends up being a little bit of a quote unquote overpayment, just based off of stats or things like that, I think it means enough, uh, to have a guy like that want to stay here and with the potential that he, what he could be, uh, that there's a, a really good reason to want to keep him here. And so I think that's probably the most important one. Yeah, it was definitely like we we were actually recording when they announced Zach's signing. So there's a really hilarious moment in one of our shows where Jeremy just goes, oh, my God. <laughs> and it was definitely from a fan perspective, the signing of Zach for such an extensive contract um, and sort of the following days and even now during camp, the attitude and the um, you know, things that he's been saying about it, I think has been a really impactful thing for the fans and especially those fans that are like really nervous and anxious about some of the things that the team is doing and, you know, obviously with people leaving and, and whatnot. So I think I, I 100% agree with you that this, this signing of Zach has been a real, it's been a real, like, you know, starting point and like sort of safety net feeling for, for fans and hopefully, you know, for a lot of success for him as, as he goes through this, you know, probably one of the largest contracts that he will ever sign. Certainly true. And and the other thing I would say too, is there were, there were always rumors out there, kind of some talk about like, Oh, you know, Zach's going to go back to Detroit, you know, at some point. It just, I never got that sense from him just in talking to him over the years. I've always thought he really enjoyed Columbus and really enjoyed the city and, and liked playing here and liked being, you know, somewhat close to home, but not being at home. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at it like, you know, I'm, I'm from the Cleveland area, but I live in Columbus. It's like nice to be, uh, you know, somewhat close to home, but not always have to be home kind of thing uh, where you can kind of be your own person uh, a little bit. Um, I just thought he's always liked it here. And I was not surprised when it came out that he was uh, he was resigning because I think the 
you know, his family does like it here. He likes it here. Uh, I think he, once he kind of, he even spoke about it, once he saw the things the team was doing, uh, the, you know, the plan was in place to be uh, a really good team going forward. Uh, I, I think it kind of added up that, that basically uh, it had everything you wanted here. Yeah, undoubtedly. I know for me, I, my family actually moved to the Detroit area when I was in college and it was kind of nice because it was like home left me. I didn't leave home. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that same boat. It's a good, it's a good dynamic, the Columbus to Detroit. Uh, pipeline there but uh one of the things that we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about like in talking about you know the off season um is obviously the passing of Matisse Kiblinix and so I just wanted to like have like give you the chance to kind of recap a little bit about what the team uh this year in the last you know week or so has announced a little bit about what they're going to be doing to celebrate the life of Matisse Kiblinix not only during opening night against the Coyotes on the 14th but then also just throughout the season and uh wanted to know if you could expand on that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, certainly. Obviously, the the toughest moment of the offseason, for sure. And uh, um, without kind of going back and, and rehashing a ton of it, um, yeah, there will be uh, an opening night. Uh, his family is coming over from Latvia. Uh, they will be here uh, for a, a pregame ceremony um, to remember Matisse and, and a pregame uh, puck drop as well. Um, they'll be guests of the team, so I'm sure they'll be kind of get a little bit of a, a red carpet treatment uh, while they're here. Um, and then uh, it, the, the team will be wearing Matisse Kivlenik's, uh stickers with his number 80 on their helmets throughout the season. Uh, a banner with his number 80 will be in the rafters for the entire season. Um, and then they'll also have his number on the ice uh, for the first couple of games as well. And so uh, trying to do everything possible to kind of to do it the right way, because obviously um, it was a tough moment for everybody involved in the organization. And uh, you will not ever really find for someone who only played, I think, nine games in a Blue Jacket sweater, you'll you'll never find someone who is more just well-liked because of his positivity and personality. And so um, you, you do everything you can to try to, to make the best of the situation and honor him in the right way. Um, and it's, it, you know, from the people who've been involved so far, um, you know, listening to people, you know, some of his closest friends speak like Elvis, uh, Merzlikens, and Manny Legacy. And uh, the organization's done everything it could to, to do this the right way. And so... Um, it, it'll be, I think, an emotional night for sure uh, at the opener because of this whole thing. Um, but I think also a, a chance for everyone to remember him in a, as positive a way as possible and, and uh, you know, maybe also get a little closure on it as well. Um, but just, you know, to kind of show the family what, what he meant to everybody. I think it's going to be, um, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be cathartic in some ways, I would hope. And uh, hopefully, you know, it, doing, doing it the right way to kind of honor his memory because said he was, you know, you hear this, somebody dies and you always hear the tributes and everybody always says, oh, he was a great guy and all these things. But I mean, it was it was 100% true for Matisse. I mean, always smiling, always positive. Uh, everyone liked him. And so uh, obviously a tragedy, but, you know, you try to try to go on and, and honor him the right way. So. Yeah, no, I, I we Jeremy and I talked about it um, yesterday when they made the announcement Um and, you know, it's I we just think everything that the Blue Jackets have done so far um, in, in regards to the situation has just been incredible. And and like you said, hopefully this brings, you know, another level of, of closure, um, especially for for those um, like Elvis and Manny and having watched Manny's interview this past weekend when he was in Detroit, um, just the things that um, he has experienced himself um since the passing of of Matisse um you know to have to have a a celebration of life and um a a great way to honor him will hopefully bring a lot more positivity and joy to to those closest to Matisse and also to to everyone in the community um and just the Blue Jackets have just been phenomenal through this whole process yeah I mean it's it's tough to also think about you know it's like you know, I've, I've met him a number of times over the years and, and stuff like that, but, you know, nowhere near as close to him as teammates and guys like, like Elvis and, and Manny, who, you know, Elvis said he was his little brother. Manny said it was like the son he never had. And so can only imagine what those guys have, have gone through. And um, I'm sure it's tough to come to the rink on a daily basis and kind of not have him there. Um, but I think also at the same time, it's probably comforting that they're together, uh, that, you know, Elvis and Manny are able to kind of lean on each other through this whole thing as well. And so, um, a terrible thing that's happened, but, you know, at the same time, that sometimes is, is life and you just have to, you know, there's, there's no explanation for it and you just kind of have to learn how to live with it. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be something that continues throughout the year where it's just going to be 
you know, there's gonna be times where you look back and go, and it's still gonna hurt, but that's that's part of the part of the grieving and part of the healing process as well. Absolutely. Um, and to to sort of move from a a very exciting in multiple different ways off season has led us into a pretty interesting and exciting preseason um for the blue jackets there's been a lot of things that have started happening throughout camp a lot of differences as we talked a little bit earlier that we're starting to see already from players um but to start with some of the positives could you talk a little bit about how the blue jackets were able to find success on the power play in this preseason and do you believe the success carries into the regular season fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> I know. Wouldn't it be uh, weird to, to feel, you know, be excited if you're a fan when the Blue Jackets go on the power play? Because, you know, I hate to say it, but I mean, there are so many times over the last couple of years where it almost just sucked the energy out of the team. Um, but I think it has the potential to be better. Um, and I think the main reason is, as we talked about earlier, uh, Jake Voracek. I think that he just is such a good distributor of the puck um, and such a veteran presence there um, that it just makes what he does fits what they do so well because it, it just gives them so many options with his ability to both shoot and pass. Um, and if you think about, you know, a, a power play, I kind of wrote about this the other day. Most power plays kind of have things, you know, some of them will have certain specialties that they do well. You know, obviously, you know, Washington's power plays built around Alexander Ovechkin and, you know, certain Tampa's is built around puck movement, things like that. But they all kind of have successful power plays, at least. They'll kind of have certain attributes. And it's, you know, getting set up. So you've got to win a face off or you've got to get the puck in the zone. Uh, you've got to have, you know, quick decision makers, uh, guys who can pass the puck quicker than the other team can move. And that creates shooting lanes. And so then you have to have shooters that can take advantage of those shooting lanes. And so, you know, you're not really reinventing the wheel here. It's about getting set up. It's about moving the puck. And then it's about putting it in the back of the net. And so if you look at the guys they have, it seems like they should be able to do that. And it's four of the five guys on the number one unit are guys that have been there in the past. But I think Voracek just changes the dynamic because he's that quick puck mover, that quick decision maker that just makes everybody else kind of slot into place because obviously, you know, Zach Wierenski can score from the top of the zone. You know, Patrick Liney's one timer is, is, you know, Jake was talking the other day. There's only about three other guys in the league that can shoot the puck the way that Liney does. Um, and then you've got Bjorkstrand in the middle who has such a quick release um, that we've already seen them kind of start to use that spot a little bit, which was kind of a black hole in the past couple of years. Uh, but it seems like Oliver makes sense there right now with the guys around him. And then Boone Jenner at the net front is, is tough enough to be there. Um, but he can also, you know, do some tips, do some rebounds and, and wins faceoffs as well. And so uh, you put all those things together and, and if everybody just does their role properly and they've got people in the right roles, uh, it should be good. Um, and so, you know, teams will pre-scout them and, and they'll take away some things and, uh, you know, they'll figure out kind of what the plan of attack is and, and try to take away the bread and butter a little bit. But at the end of the day, if you've got good enough people who make quick enough decisions, you should have a good power play. Um, and it seems like that's the way things are trending. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that the way that it's set up, uh, it, it should work uh, to at least a, an average to above average extent uh, this year. And so after watching below average for the past couple of years, uh, that would be a very good thing for Blue Jackets fans to see. I think that's the thing I've noticed the most on the power play is just like the fact that folks like Bjorkstrand have like found themselves pretty open in the slot where like in the past, it just feels like there hasn't been, been much there. And just being able to watch Bjorkstrand tee it up in the slot the way that he's been able to like in the preseason and also some of the other guys who have played in a similar position. I just think that's been among the more exciting things to watch. I mean, just like coming off of the, off of the Detroit win at home here, uh, you know, the other night, it's just like, wow, that was fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it just, it feels like they're going to score right now. And again, it's, it's the preseason and that, you know, we've talked to the coaches a number of times about it. Cause why wouldn't you, it looks great. Um, I think the, the top unit in the last two games, as we record this is, you know, there's five guys on the top unit and they've all scored a power play goal in the last two games. I mean, that's pretty incredible, which just goes to show you just how many different talents there are there. Um, and that's before you even consider, you talk about Patrick Laine's shot. That's even before you consider the fact they can dangle through four guys and score a goal like he did the, against the Red Wings. So um, like I say, it is early and every caveat in the world applies. And like I say, it's going to get harder. You know, they'll be facing better teams with who pre-scout them and have a better plan. Uh, but at the end of the day, again, it, it comes down to, do you have the people that can go in the right spots and do the things that make a power play work? And it, and it looks like they do. It really does. And the, the puck movement's just quicker 
with Jake out there, you know, if it kind of run it through him um, and he can figure out uh, the right thing to do um, in the, in the situations. And, you know, he's dangerous enough that you can't collapse on line. A Warinsky is dangerous enough that, you know, he can draw defenders away from Patrick. It just seems like it all fits together. Um, If it all fits together, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah. And again, anytime I can see the blue Jackets score three power play goals in one game preseason or not, it's, (laughs) <laughs> it's just a joy to observe. <laughs> um, and continuing with the positives, and you've seen every aspect of camp, who has been the biggest surprise of the preseason for you? Hmm, let's see here. Uh, let's let's think about that for a second. I would say the biggest surprise to me is probably uh, Igor Chinikov. Um, just, I, I think everyone knew him coming over, you know, the first round pick a season ago, so much has been spilled kind of about his, uh, his shot, his ability to score goals, uh, showed it in the KHL last year, was the rookie of the year, a year ago over in the KHL, um, for a team that won the championship. So he's, you know, he's probably got to be a good player to be a regular player on a team that wins the second best league in the world. So, um, but him coming over, everyone talked about his shot so much and I, you know, just not exactly able to watch a whole lot of KHL games at the end of the day. Uh, I've got too much going on in my life. I can't, couldn't sit there down and watch every game that he played in. Um, but just how good of a hockey player he is uh, it has really taken me by surprise. Uh, just from hearing kind of the tea leaves and talking to people about him and stuff, it's like they said he's got a great shot, but he's going to have to learn. He's going to have to not necessarily mature, but his game's going to have to mature at the NHL level. Um, and he's going to have to, you know, th- th- there's going to be some growing pains for him when he gets over here. And there certainly will be, but just the, the vision and the hockey sense that he has, um, I think have been undersold to this point. Uh, you know, Brad Larson said the other day, he's not just a shot. Uh, you know, he's got good hockey sense. He, uh, he's a very good passer. He understands the game. Uh, he understands what they're trying to do. Um, for a guy who's 20 years old, that, that's an awful lot of superlatives right now. And so I kind of expected to come him to come over and have some really good moments with his shot, but maybe look a little bit lost at times as he's just kind of getting his feet wet. Um, but, but he's looked like an NHL player to me. I mean, he looks the part, um, uh, up to this point. And so to me, that was the surprise is just not that he's got skill, but just the, the all around game, you know, I've watched him in certain situations where I thought, you know, he could, he was kind of putting himself in trouble and then he would make the right play out of it, or he'd be under pressure and make the right play out of it. Um, I think there's a lot more to his game than, than just his ability to score goals. And so, um, who knows what kind of season he'll have as, as a first year player. You know, I think young guys are always up and down. Um, but there, there's more to his game than I thought. And that, that has surprised me a little bit, I would say. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Like, cause if you've got, you know, if you've got a killer shot, like you're going to end up make, being successful in the NHL, but it's like, what do you do away from the puck? And he has impressed me as well away from the puck. And so I think I won't, I won't put you on the spot and ask you who's done the opposite for you in camp. Um, but I will ask you, is there any player that you think enters the regular season that either based on their training camp or beyond um, comes in with like a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, a little bit extra to prove um, that maybe they didn't get a chance to prove in the preseason um, or that they just want to bring, bring to their game this regular season. Hmm. That's, that's a good question. Cause I mean, if just the phrase chip on their shoulder, I think of Patrick Laine, um, which is probably not exactly what the, the thrust of the question was. Um, but I do think that if you look at his season last year, um, you know, it was not what he expected, not what he wanted. And I think he is a guy who he said it, it didn't bother him. I asked him at the, you know, the first day of the camp about, you know, him maybe wanting to prove again to the NHL that he's one of the best goal scorers in the league. And he kind of said like, you know, I don't have, you know, I've already scored 40 goals. Like I think everyone knows I'm pretty good, Um, which is true, but I do think there is a chip on his shoulder to say like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm better than I was last year. Uh, I'm not going to just be a guy that scores, what was, I think it was 11 goals in 45 games or whatever it was in Columbus. Like, I think there is a part of him that even if he doesn't really talk about it publicly is like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm Patrick Wine, I'm going to score 40 goals. Like, I think there is, um, there is that aspect to his personality. And so I think he's a guy that people are going to look up and go, Oh, Oh, he's Patrick Wine. <laughs> you know, as the season gets going. And so that, that one kind of comes to mind. I'm trying to think of, uh, of who else kind of applies uh, in that realm. It'll be really interesting to watch. I mean, fascinating to see what kind of happens at the bottom of the lineup and um, both offensively and defensively, because there's so many names there that have a chance to, to step in the lineup and, and play well. 
and play a big minutes, but uh, th- there's a lot of guys they're competing with, and I, it's going to take a while for the lineup to shake out. Um, and so it's, it's hard for me to tell. I, I think a guy that people might not know much about, um, not necessarily a chip on his shoulder, but does want to prove he can play at this level, um, excuse me, is Gregory Hoffman, who came over from Switzerland. And I think he's going to be in the opening day lineup. Um, you know, he drafted 10 years ago by Carolina and just never came over to North America. Uh, he's been great over in Europe. He's been great at the World Championships. Uh, I think there's some game to him. I think he's he started to flash a little bit. And I think he's a guy that people may not know a lot about right now. Um, but by the middle of the season might be like, Oh, that, that's a, that's a pretty good player right there. Um, and so that one would not surprise me at all. If he, between his, his ability to skate and his ability to, to create offensively might be a little bit of a surprise and a little bit of a, something people didn't see coming as the year goes on. Yeah. I thought he looked really good against Detroit. Like I thought he like his speed. I mean, that line is going to be like, if that line ends up making its way into the, like, the lineup uh i believe it was uh robinson uh him and then i i'm dropping who was who they were playing with it was uh sean corrali yes oh my gosh yes <laughs> um i mean that line is going to be a problem for a lot of people um in a lot of different ways whether it's their quickness whether it's their grit and so if that line i hope that we get to see that line play a little bit during the regular season yeah they were really good against detroit you were right um they were a handful for uh, for the Red Wings. And so it, it would be very, uh, my sense is just looking at the lineups they're putting together for the weekend. I, I think that it's their jobs to lose to be that fourth line. Um, and I think that I'd be very curious to see them play in the regular season. Cause yeah, that's, first of all, you've got speed right there. Um, and you've got a little bit of offensive ability with, with Hoffman, you know, his ability to score goals overseas. Uh, Robinson showed last year that, I mean, I don't think Eric's ever going to be a 30 goal scorer, but he, you know, he can create enough um, that he can capitalize enough off of his speed that he can be a useful offensive player. Um, and then Corrali between them, um, you know, who's a little bit of that grittier, uh, but still with, who can, you can move himself up the ice and, and do some things offensively. I, I think that line could really, you put him in the right matchup situations and they can really surprise some people. I think you're right about that. And I think to your point too, talking about like how the team is kind of setting up some lineups for the weekend that kind of like lets you know a little bit about like who's, who might be, more comfortably into some of their jobs. You know, as we record this, we're not 100% sure what it's going to look like. There's still probably another five, six cuts that are coming down um, the pipeline in the coming days. And, uh, but it's hard to like watch, like to recap the preseason and think about the preseason without thinking that it's really possible that Cole Sillinger might be playing as the best center on this team. Now, whether that means he's playing first line center minutes and and that's the role that he has on this team in his first year, or whether or not he even makes the team, which isn't necessarily a foregone conclusion at this point. Um, But what do you think that means for players such as like Jack Rosovic, Alexander Texier, who, um, you know, are kind of expected to be in those roles this year, Um, you know, and how do you think that that kind of progresses through the season? Well, I I think one thing I would say is I, I, the, the, Jake Voracek quote that I tweeted that got a lot of play over the last uh, couple of days was when he was asked what kind of center they have to play with he and line a, and he said, you know, a defensively responsible one, let's be honest, uh, which was a great, very Voracekian quote. Um, but I think it also means that like maybe Jack Rosovic doesn't make the most sense between them. Um, nothing against Jack, but I think he's more of a, he's, he's growing in the league. He's becoming a better defensive center, but I think offense is still kind of his calling card. And so maybe you want a more, defensive-minded guy there, and whether that's Boone Jenner, whether that's – I think they think Alexander Texier could be that guy. Um, and so uh, I don't view Roslovic kind of being where he is as, as necessarily a, a negative right now. Um, I think it, just the way that the lines kind of come together, I think you know maybe Texier or Boone makes the most sense there with line A and Voracek. Um, I think they do have a heck of a lot of respect already for Cole Sillinger, though. Um, I mean, it, it, it'd be hard for me, and I might have egg on my face uh, if people listen to this at a certain time, um, but it's hard for me to imagine Cole Sillinger is not playing center for the Blue Jackets in game number one. It just looks like he's been there all camp. Um, he's he's had ups and downs, but he looks like he belongs. Um, and I say, why not? Uh, you know, put him out there at least. Give him five or six or eight or nine games and see. Um, and if it's too rich for him, you've got a lot of options. You can send him back to juniors. Uh, you can put him in Cleveland. Um, but I don't think you have a whole lot to lose by putting him out there and at least seeing uh, what this guy's all about at the start of the year. And so. Um, any young guy is going to have ups and downs throughout a season, but uh, again, they, they just love the kid. Um, they think he's a pro already at age 18. Uh, you know, he's got pro habits. He's got a pro body. Um, he plays the game like a pro. Um, it, it, he's just mature beyond his years and, and plays like a veteran. And, you know, I think that's obviously, 
Um, something that might happen when you're the son of a, of a hockey player. Uh, he clearly has, has learned the game well. Um, and so that, I think it's more of a credit to Cole Cylinder than it is a knock on anybody else. Um, and then, you know, and I don't, but I think people sometimes as well also get a little bit too caught up in um, line designations, first line, second line, third line. I mean, this would happen all the time last year, right? We tweet out lines and somebody'd be like, oh, this guy's on the fourth line. Like, what is that? Did you watch the team last year? Like, I mean, the lines were pretty much all the same. Like, they didn't really have a first line or a fourth line throughout the year. Um, and I think that's people kind of get a little bit too caught up in that stuff. Um, I, I think that wherever these guys all kind of fall, um, it's more about figuring out combinations than it is first line, second line, third line, I, I think in a lot of situations. So, um, you know, there, there are times where I'll, you know, you might see Jack Rozovic listed as the, you know, that's just the order they do drills, man. Like it doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot, but um, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's more of a credit to Cylinder than it is anything else. Right back to our conversation with Jeff in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors over at DraftKings. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's right, just one point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so I'd say it's safe to say that this is a no-brainer. The Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. We've been here, we've done this. Shout out Ohio. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Blue Jackets fans, they are a passionate bunch, but sometimes they're a little too literal. Um, and you post them in some order, like it doesn't really necessarily mean that that's like the order. Like it's, you know, it, it is what it is. Like, and again, last year was a weird year because they just never found lines that had any chemistry. Uh, but there were times where it was like, just pay no attention to the order in which these, this is just the order they, they skated out. Like, don't worry about it. But people, uh, I think sometimes just, you know, it, it People like to talk. It's hockey. That's good. You know, it shows people are interested. Yes, absolutely. Um, so when we release this episode, it's going to be Monday, October 11th. We will be three days away from the start of the most normal season of hockey we have had in almost two whole years. Um, a lot of exciting things, both with the Blue Jackets and also with the league itself. Um so to start looking um, at the outlook of the season, wins and losses are not going to be the most important thing um, game in and game out for the Blue Jackets this year. So on nights where the scoreboard is like not so much in our favor, um, <laughs> what should um, Blue Jackets fans be getting excited about and watching for? I would say just development of young players. I mean, if I, I, the numbers are not out yet. The NHL put out the the kind of the roster breakdowns that they do before the start of every season. Um, once the 23-man rosters are set. But, like, if the Blue Jackets are not the youngest team in the NHL, I will be absolutely stunned. Because if you think about, I mean, if Cole makes it, he's 18. Uh, Chinikov is 20. Um, Boquist, I think, just turned 21. I'm trying to think of other, like, I mean, guys like, Texier is still only 22, 23. Um, is only 23, which I mean, again, it feels like he's been around forever, but um, you know, he's got a long career ahead of him. Um, just trying to think is you just go up and down the line of Jake being very young. Zach's still not very old. If you're, if we're being honest with ourselves. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of players that are, you know, 25 or younger on this team um, that you're really looking to see how do these guys develop? Because um, I think, you know, I'm not certainly going to rule out this team being a potential playoff team, but I think at the, in the long run, this is kind of a development year. You're trying to figure out over this next year and a half who you've got and who you're building around um, as you're going forward uh, to where, you know, two years from now where, you know, Sillinger and Johnson and, and Kuhlman's and, and Bean and Boquist and all these guys are have two or three more years of development under their belts and, and are much, you know, probably be better NHL players at that point. 
and you bring over a Marchenko and a Voronkov, and, and you as you just kind of mature into this being um, a team that really looks like it's going to be a force to be reckoned with over the next two to three years. Um, I think right now you're just trying to figure out like who are, who are you building around, who sticks and who doesn't. Um, and so I think that's that's what it's all about is like seeing how Sillinger plays and seeing how he makes the adjustment and seeing the the flashes of okay this guy gets it and, and same with uh, Chinikov and and you know enjoying the the moments where you know you he he rips a one timer and gets, scores a goal and you're like oh wow like I mean I could watch this for the foreseeable future and things like that and just you know just kind of seeing how they build around everybody and so um, it, it's it's really just about I think this year and next year at least the start of next year just how this team kind of comes together and, and how it builds uh, and in which of these young guys really take big steps forward. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and so, you know, at the end of, you know, players and coaches are always going to say, we want to, you know, you put on the gear to win and we want to win. Um, and there's still some really good players out there. And we didn't mention Max Domi yet. who probably is going to be back sooner rather than later. You know, any team that has Zach Wierenski and Elvis Merzlikens and Jonas Corposalo and Patrick Line and Oliver Bjorkstrand and Jake Borg, I mean, there's really good, all-star caliber players on this team that I think people sometimes forget about that if they all play as well as they can play, um, you can have a team that, that is a lot to be reckoned with, but you're also still got a lot of young guys that you're, you're kind of judging what are these guys going to be like in a year or two or three or four um, as we really try to put together a team that can contend for a Stanley Cup. Yeah. This team is better than people say it is like, and I think like it's, it's easy to play into the trope of like, Every team that's rebuilding is going to be at the bottom of the league. They're going to be a bottom five team. But I don't – and maybe this is me and my, like, Blue Jackets fan naivety, but, like, I don't see it. Like, I like with the names that you just said, like, I don't see a situation where any player on that roster uh, feels comfortable with being anything more than a team that is at least sticking around, making things difficult for teams, is in every game. Like, I just don't see a reality that's any different than that. The, the things the things working against them, I would say, are the division. Uh, the division should be decent. Um, there, you know, there's no other teams that like. I think the the teams that have been bad the last couple of years, like the Devils and Rangers, are now kind of getting into their you know the next step of their rebuilds. At least they think they are. Um, so there, there's no easy wins uh, in this division where maybe the Devils would have been in the past couple of years or somebody else. So that's kind of a negative. I think the youth is just you know it's the NHL. There's going to be nights where. Um, you know, there's bumpy roads, um, especially when you're going to be as young as this team is going to be. Um, and then I think the other thing is just there is, you know, center. We talked about center, though, but I mean, they're still figuring that out. Let's be honest. Um, you know, if nothing against Cole Sillinger, but if you have an 18 year old center in the NHL, there's going to be growing pains and learning curves and things like that. So I think they're still figuring out that position on a nightly basis. And, and defensively, um, you know, I like a lot of their defensemen, um, but they're either young or still you know, there's some question marks there as you get into the bottom of the lineup. Like, is Andrew Peake ready? You know, will Dean Kukin ever be a consistent player? Um, is Gabriel Carlson ever going to be a consistent player? Um, you know, is, are Jake Bean and, and Boquist are going to get much bigger roles than they had in the past? And so there's questions there defensively as well. And so uh, those are three things working against them to make me say, um, you know, the struggle might be real at times. But then again, what I said about, you know, you, you look at some of the names and you look at some of the things that, that this team might be able to do and, you do look at a team that might be a little bit better than I think people are saying. And so it'll be very interesting to see. I think it's going to be a fun team is the one prediction I would have. Uh, I think that, you know, last year was a slog and frankly pretty terrible uh, to follow if you were a Blue Jackets fan. Um, even wins and losses aside, I think this team will be a fun team. Um, and it might surprise some people. Definitely. For sure. Lost my unmute button there for a second. Um, they they already seem like they're having so much fun. Um, I went to the scrimmage um, a couple of weekends ago, and you could just tell even in practice, they, they seemed like they were having a lot of fun with each other and really just sort of felt lighter on the ice. Um, so it feels definitely like the, the atmosphere, um, at least – from a fan perspective um, is, is fun and just going out there and, and playing the game and, you know, showing people that like Jeremy said, like you said, that this team is better than a lot of, you know, a lot of people will give them credit for. Um, so that's, that's exciting to see that they, they too are feeling, you know, energized about the season and about these new combinations of things and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and I would agree. It does seem like they're having fun, but probably every team in the league is having fun. You know, every everybody has zero in the loss column, so it's a lot of fun until that until that changes. 
Um, but it, it does feel as though there is kind of a new vibe and a new energy. You've got a new head coach. You've got a bunch of new players. Um, you've got some youth um, that adds some energy. Um, and, and as you also look at it, you've got personality on this team, which I think is what's going to make this a fun team. I mean, Elvis is, I mean, how could you not love Elvis? Uh, just his personality and the joy he brings on a daily basis. Uh, Voracek is just all personality. Um, he's a pro, but he's got such a great personality. He's always talking and always giving guys crap and just a fun guy to beat around. Um, Line A is, you know, a very unique personality, but he's certainly a personality. Um, you know, Max Domi is a personality. Um, there's a lot of fun guys on this team that I think as you uh, get to know them, uh, that, that just make it fun to be a fan because they, they are kind of showing off uh, the fact that they're not just, you know, this sport has become kind of boring over the years with the cliches of, you know, get pucks deep and, you know, grind and, you know, win battles, blah, 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 all the kind of stuff. They've got a bunch of guys that aren't going to give you that stuff. Uh, but they've got a bunch of guys that do have um, some some personality to them and are fun to follow. And so I'm very excited to kind of see how that uh, um, I think that can can lift a team. I think that can really make an impact is if you really do enjoy being around each other. Uh, that can that can be a lot. I you know, we were on the plane on the way back from Buffalo the other night, and just hearing them playing cards in the back and and talking to each other, giving each other crap. It does seem as though they enjoy being around each other. Um, and like I say, once you once you start having owls in the loss column, maybe that changes. But it, it does feel as though there is that vibe around the team that they they do have that a little bit of uh, chemistry up to this point so far. Yeah, I was uh, talking to another uh, fan friend the other night, and I was like. You know, all these changes, the one thing I'm kind of glad that we still kind of have around is that I noticed Sean Corrales has similarly like crazy Nick Felino eyes. And <laughs> so I, I'm glad that we get a little bit of that too when, you, when you're talking about characters of these players, that that hasn't completely uh, gone away. That we still got at least one that's got some intense eye contact. <laughs> happening is, on the ice absolutely yeah and he'll be a guy you know another local guy to see kind of how he uh handles everything because he seems like he's got some personality as well so um yeah it'll be interesting it was funny to kind of see him uh interacting with the fans during warm-ups the other night and uh just kind of his you know it'll be interesting to kind of see how how he makes that connection with the local community because it, he's got a chance i think to really do it so um another guy to look forward to watch as well yeah it's it's gonna be exciting and these 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 new guys and all of this energy brings a lot of like predictions for the season. So we mentioned to you before we started recording that we had some rapid fire sort of prediction based questions for you. Um, so we'll get started with those. So just, you know, whatever you know, right or wrongs, all opinion sort of on how you feel about certain things for the season coming up. Um, so first off, something that a lot of people are going to be curious about is, who plays on a pairing with Zacharinsky the most this season? Hmm, that is a good question because right now it feels like Jake Bean is the answer. I think he's going to start there. Um, and I, you know what? I'll go with him just because I think that I think his game fits with Zach's a little bit, um, and he's comfortable on that right side as well. Um, my my answer before camp would have been Adam Boquist, um, but I think he also might make sense with, with Gabby. And so I'm going to say Jake B. I think I'm really excited to see like how those two, like, especially like if you've got Boquist down on the second pairing, like I'm excited to see the production of those two on the blue line, because you've got two, like, again, two pairings where you've got a really, really offensively skilled defenseman and somebody who is really, really good defensively. Like it's not necessarily going to give you a lot of points, but but it's going to make sure that things are pretty sound on the blue line. So I like that. I'm with you on that one, Jeff. So who then, in a similar fashion, centers for Line A and Voracek the most this season? Hmm. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Boone Jenner. Um, I could be wrong, but I just feel like. Is, is Jake said that they need a defensively responsible guy there. But I think that's another one where Boone's game maybe just matches with them. And I was I, coming into the season, I was put team Boone on left wing. He's better there. Um, you know, you're kind of wasting him a little bit at center. Um, but I think a guy that can win face-offs, which if, if you're going to be starting in the offensive zone, as you would think Patrick Line and Jake Voracek will a lot this year, you got to have somebody that can win face-offs. Boone's their best face-off guy. And I think him is, is a gritty guy that can win some puck battles and get to the front of the net and, and just be a general chaos inducer with those two guys playing off of each other as the skill guys. Um, I think that just makes a lot of sense. And so 
Um, I think by the end of the year, I think that maybe is just something that ends up without is that uh, boon with, uh, with those guys. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that option too. I think Boone is a solid, a solid choice for the two of them, especially as they work out their chemistry and in similar fashion to continue talking questions about that line. Do Line A and Voracek end up playing most of the season together? I think they do, barring injury. Um, and I guess you never know. And th- th- there's times where things will probably get split up a bit, but it just it seems like a match made in heaven. Um, you know, it, it just seems like they they do have chemistry. They play off of each other well. Um, Voracek's a smart guy. He's a veteran. I think he can, the personalities match as well with what they kind of need in each other. And so, um, you know, it's hard to say throughout a whole season, but I think they do tend to stick together because it just makes too much sense. And, and it's worked so far in camp. So, um, I would say that there's until given a reason to say no, I'm going to say yes. We're talking a lot about the line of Voracek line, but I want to throw a curveball in here and ask you who scores more goals this season, Patrick line or Oliver Bjorkstrand. I think Patrick Line. Um, I, I think just with the power play aspect of it as well. Um, and if that if the project power play is really good, that probably means Patrick Line is also scoring a lot of goals. Um, I just think he has a bounce back here. And I love Oliver Bjorkstrand. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. I think he's gonna get he could very well get into the thirties if he plays the whole season. Um, but I think Line can get in the forties. So I'm gonna go with Patrick Line. Okay. And shifting focus a little, we haven't talked a whole lot about goaltending this season so or this evening so what's your over under on the number of games that Elvis Merzlinkin starts at 45 I think over um and nothing against Corpy um I love them both but I just feel like it's gonna be it just feels like Elvis is gonna have a great year and just take it um I just I just have that gut feeling that but you add in his experience um a guy who's taken two years to kind of get to know the league. Um, and now I think sort of gets it. Um, you, you, I, you hate to bring in the Matisse Kivlenix angle from a performance perspective, but I mean, Elvis has said he wants to win the Vezina in Matisse's honor. Um, I, I just think he's dialed in and ready. I think you had in the experience and the talent and everything and the motivation. And I, I just feel like Elvis is going to take it at some point and run with it. That's just sort of my gut feeling. Um, nothing against Corby. I love him. I think he's, he's also great. And one of the most underrated personalities on the team. I just have the sense that it's, it's Elvis's time. It just feels that way to me. Yeah. And I'm thinking I might know where you're going with this question then, but who do you think has the better save percentage between the two this year? Yeah. I would probably then go with Elvis as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) you know, and I think history is, he's had the better save percentage the last two years as well. Um, and so I just have a, like I say, I just, I just feels like it's going to be his year. Um, I just have that gut feeling. Um, and I could end up being terribly wrong. And I look like an idiot at some point because predicting goaltenders is a very difficult thing to do, but I just have the sense that he's primed and ready for, for, for it to be an Elvis year. I just, it just seems like all the pieces are in place for me, for him to break out. It just, that's just my sense. Yeah, we're definitely getting those those Elvis vibes pretty hard over here too. That this is is going to be his year to shine. Um, but other potential years to shine. Who do you think is going to be the leading scorer for the Blue Jackets? Uh, points or goals? Oh, Jeremy, clarifying question. <laughs> let's do both. Let's while we're here, let's do both. Well, I've pretty much already told you the answer on goals. I think it's going to be Patrick Laine. Um Points, I would say probably Voracek, um, just because if he's going to be on the number one power play unit and on the number one line, um, if Patrick Lining is going to lead the team in goals, uh, that means Jake Voracek is going to have a ton of assists. Um, and so I think that he would lead the team in points. This is not on our list of questions, but just out of curiosity, do you think he gets to 65 or do you think 65 or higher? Or do you think that that's, that sounds just about right? And that sounds about right. I think he'll be right in that, uh, right in that area, 60 sure. to 70. Sure. Um, so more of the, the Sinbin kind of question, who leads the team in penalty minutes this year? Ooh, that's a really good question because I don't even, yeah, boy, really good question. Who on this team? Well, that makes you think like, okay, that is anybody going to fight is really what you're asking me because that's who, you know, is anybody going to, if you can pick them up five minutes at a time rather than the two minutes at a time, you're probably more likely to lead the team in penalty minutes. But I'm not sure they have anybody that really stands out in that regard. Um, so that's a, that is a really tough one. I'm trying to go up and down the lineup and think um, 
if there's anybody that stands out or anybody that's kind of done it in the past years. And, um, yeah, I don't really know. Maybe maybe a guy like Gavrikov, um, which I'm not sure that's necessarily his game, but I think if he has to do it, he he can do it. Um, I think we've seen Andrew Peak be a little bit more physical in camp and a few ones like a number three defenseman spot and um, is really uh, – um, someone who they look at to be physical. I could see him getting some, getting tangled up in some things. I saw is Corrali much of a fighter. I don't, I don't really, I don't know. I haven't seen enough of his game to know the answer to that. So that that's a really good one. I have, I don't really have an answer to that one off the top of my head. I'm excited to see what it's going to be. I always love following that race. <laughs> and I think that is sort of a concern about this team. I've seen kind of some people talking to some, you know, the game has changed and you don't have to have an enforcer anymore like you used to. Um, but there are also, you know, you also don't want to get pushed around. Um, you know, we saw what happened to the Rangers last year with when Tom Wilson kind of um, did what he did a season ago. Is that you, you, you don't need one until you need one. Um, and again, it's not you're in a league now where you're, if your team has is going to have, you know, at most five to ten fights in a season. So you don't necessarily need a guy that's going to go out there and, and be that guy like it was 20 years ago. But at the same time, you don't want to get pushed around. And so if it comes, if you know not to make a pun, but if push comes to shove and you're getting pushed around, um, who's going to stand up and kind of, and, and, you know, Nick Foligno would be that guy in past years. Um, it'll be interesting to see if someone does become that guy this year. So I, I that, uh, that is an intriguing question. And I wonder, I wonder what the answer might be if it, if it comes to it. Yeah, it'll, it's, it'll definitely be interesting to see. And especially with, you know, just these new personalities, see who, see whose uh, limits get pushed a little bit more from these new guys in the maybe there is a feisty one in there that will throw some more punches than we than we regularly see. Yeah, and I, just, uh, I just I Google Sean Corrali hockey fights and I'm pulling it up and he's 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 done it at times before, but it's not a huge part of his game. But maybe he's you know if that's his role, maybe that's something he he does. Who knows? Now this next one became a topic of conversation this past season. And more than likely, probably because we weren't doing very well, so people needed things to talk about. Um, but what is your opinion on red pants or blue pants with our away jerseys? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, I did, I you know, I didn't dislike the blue pants when they wore them um, last year for that game. Um, the one thing I would say though is that I really like the blue helmets with the white jerseys. They wear them up in Traverse City every year. So they only have to take one set of helmets. Um, and I, I just think it always looks sharp when they take the ice. Um, you know, it, it's just a little bit more contrast. Um, I've always, I just think that's the, if I'm making a, a change to the uniform, that's the change I'm making is the blue pant, blue helmet with the white Jersey. Um, pants, you know, I think some, I hear some fans that don't like the red pants. I kind of like the contrast, so it, it doesn't really bother me. I think the blue looks good too. Um, so I, I think they both look good. I don't have a huge opinion on the pants. I think they're, it, it, it's not like I dislike both. I do like both. Um, but I would say that if I had to make the one change, it'd be the blue helmet with the white jersey. I am definitely team blue helmet. I, yes, 100% to the blue helmets. <laughs> it's just such a cleaner look. I'm such a fan. And this is also not on script. And if you can't answer this question and you have to tell me to shut up, that's fine too. Um, but, but speaking of helmets, I haven't seen, and maybe I'm just like not paying enough attention are they wearing stickers on their helmets right now? And if they're not, like, are they going to be wearing stickers on their helmets as far as like branded, like advertisement or are they away with those this year? Oh, uh, those will be back. Okay. Gotcha. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> Good deal. You, you heard it here first. So the, another hard hitter for you, Stinger or Boomer? <laughs> you know, what's funny is that I, I've always been a mascot guy. Um, I just find it's just so funny to me that like we have these like giant, furry creatures like running around in a in a sports world where everybody wants to argue with everybody and it's it's Stephen A. Smith yelling at people and Colin Cowherd you know trying to sprout all this divisiveness who doesn't love a good mascot um it just brings whimsy to sports um that has been missing so much I think over is it's got as the money's gotten bigger and it's become so serious uh it's just funny to me that we have these goofy creatures running around the sidelines and so um, I'm a mascot guy, but I also think it would be funny. I've always wanted to like, since I've worked for the team, like basically pick Twitter fights with Stinger. Like I want to be like, I think it'd be really funny if on Twitter, like Stinger and I were like enemies. Um, I just think it would be really good content. Um, but I'm not sure if either Stinger or the team would find that tremendously funny because people just might not get it. 
Um, but I think it would be hilarious. But um, I love Stinger, but, I mean, how can you not like Boomer? I think that um, you just have to get into it and have fun with it. Um, when he came back last year for the Halloween skit, um, I thought that was tremendous. So I am um, – I mean, I'm I'm partial to Boomer. I think you just have to lean into it and have fun with it. it you know, it is what it is. Maybe that can be the start of the Jeff Svoboda Stinger beef. Is is you leaning leaning toward Boomer on the podcast? Maybe, yeah, today. like we do a video where like Stinger walks in and like Boomer and I are having dinner and I don't know, like <laughs> Stinger's hurt, uh, you know, and then we just become uh, we just become enemies. I don't know. I just think it would be funny if like the mascot and I were just talking trash on Twitter all the time. <laughs> I'm in full support of this feud. You heard it here first, Stinger. Jeff's coming for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it'd be great content. I think it'd be hilarious. But, you know, again, I also think people might not get it. Uh, you know, I don't know if we necessarily want Stinger. Obviously, Stinger is a, he's a bug with an attitude. But, um, you know, we, it has to be it has to come out the right way as well. Uh, but I just think it'd be funny. I also just wish I could find a mask that fits my face as well as Stinger's does. I know. That is, he's, well, Stinger has, has done well. He, he, the, the bug has figured out the mask game, I'll say that. Absolutely. And then this sort of last question we have for you is sort of a, a question that we ask most of our guests because we're foodies. I bake semi-professionally on the side. And one of the things that we hope to one day see from Columbus Blue Jackets players is we want to know if, if we won the Stanley Cup, what food item would you put in the cup. <laughs> Ooh, boy, that's a good question. I think I just go with, uh, um, I mean, I probably fill it with beer if we're being honest, but, um, I would also say ice cream. Um, you know, you eat an ice cream on the Stanley cup. You can't beat that. Um, it's one of my favorite foods have kind of changed over the years. I used to be like a big pizza person. And I barely eat that anymore. Um, you know, it wouldn't be very exciting to eat like salad or, um, you know, mac and maybe mac and cheese. That'd be kind of a cool, cause it's a bowl basically. So you have to have something that's like a bowl food and so i would say maybe ice cream or mac and cheese or something like that i think ice cream who doesn't love ice cream i couldn't agree more we've also like had like serious conversations on this podcast as to whether or not we think that the stanley cup can actually like be baked so like could you bake something like like <laughs> would that material hold up we don't know we don't know maybe one day somebody's going to try to find out but you know what? If it went wrong, they'd just fix it. So, you know, it's the, the Stanley Cup has seen some things happen before. So I, I think they could figure it out. Been there, done that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, Jeff, that that is about all we've got for us tonight. But I we appreciate you so much to coming on. I know, hopefully for our listeners, that this is a really fun hour. Um, Laura, is there anything else before we wrap up that you've got for Jeff? No, I'm just excited to keep reading and hearing your content over the course of the season. You are definitely an inspiration to Jeremy and I uh, as we do our light covering of the team. Um, so I'm just excited for an 82-game season and to hopefully see some some W's in, in that column for the Blue Jackets. Yeah, fingers crossed. Let's do 82 games. You know what's actually funny is that I have yet to do 82-game season. Um, because I got hired in the middle of the um, hired in the middle of the 1819 season so I only did the last four months of that season and then 1920 we played 71 games and then the pandemic hit and then last year uh, just you know 56 games and so I've never actually had a chance to do a whole um, 82 game season I was uh, when the pandemic hit I was that close to, to being at every game that year which is sort of my goal is like I want to be able to go to every game uh, at some point in a season Um and so uh, hopefully hopefully this is the year. Uh, fingers crossed we pulled off. No doubt. And while you are attending all 82 of those games this year, because we're manifesting it, we're putting it into the universe, um, where can our listeners find you? How can they get a hold of your content? Um, and how can they support what you're doing? Yeah, no, uh, thank you. You can just go to uh, you know bluejackets.com. Uh, that's where all the written content is. Um, on Twitter, at uh, Jackets Insider. Um, and then, uh, we may or may not be doing a lot of fun stuff this year, uh, you know, with different avenues, kind of just trying new things. And so stay tuned. You never know if we're going to do more podcasting, more, uh, video stuff. Um, you know, so you may see, unfortunately, you may see more of my face around this year, but you know, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. I think we're all looking forward to that. Um, but Laura, if you want to tell our listeners where they can follow us, if they haven't already, and then we'll close this one out. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SubjectivelyPod. You can find us on Facebook at Subjectively Speaking. 
can check out our website, subjectivelyspeaking.com, which is also where you can find our merch store if you're looking for some fun stuff to wear to games, especially that long sleeve, because it is cold. I forgot how cold it is in the arena. It's been that long. Um, and yeah, and then you can rate, review, and subscribe to wherever you are listening. Again, we don't know why it matters, but it does. Those little five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. So hit that five stars. Let other people see this Blue Jackets content. And we just can't wait to bring you guys more from this season. The next time you hear a Subjectively Speaking episode, it's going to be game day, y'all. It's going to be opening night. So until we get the chance to do that, we'll talk to y'all soon. Bye.